Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources. Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I'm your host, Bob Osmond, and I'm uh, very pleased to have a returning guest uh, with me today. I, I always like when guests come back because typically speaking, we haven't uh, completed our discussion on the topic that they originally joined us on. And so we have an occasion today to listen to Roy Atkinson uh, talk to us again about the whole world of digitization and customer experience. And so, Roy, welcome back to the podcast. For our listeners that might not have heard the initial podcast or aren't familiar with who you are, would you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Thanks, Bob. Uh, I'm as Bob said, Roy Atkinson, I'm the CEO and Principal Advisor at Clifton Butterfield LLC. We're a business advisory firm. We're based in South Carolina, but we work nationally and internationally. And we try to uh, assist businesses, especially in the areas of customer experience, employee experience, and what we call appropriate technology, which includes the measurement of experience and also tools that can help people have better experiences. Indeed, and and Roy does a, a fair amount of writing and consulting. And um, if you follow him on LinkedIn, he does some excellent posts. So I highly encourage uh, you to follow this thought leader uh, in Roy Atkinson if you haven't already. And speaking of writing, uh, Roy, uh, you wrote a chapter in a book. Tell us more about the book, and then we'll jump into your chapter. Sure. Uh, one of my roles uh, is as a fellow of the Institute for Digital Transformation. And uh, the Institute does a lot of publication, of course, but we decided to do a book. And the book is covers a lot of the aspects of digital transformation and uh, they asked each of the fellows to write in an area in which they have some particular expertise. And so my assignment was to do one on customer experience as it relates to digital transformation and as re- digital transformation relates to it. And I loved it when Roy contacted me because he said, hey, I've, I've uh, participated in this book and I wrote this chapter and, and, and would you take a look at it? And so he sent it to me and it was on customer experience. I was like, all right, Roy, that's fantastic. So let's, let's, let's get into the, into the meat of the, of the chapter, Roy, and talk about customer experience. And, and um, what I really liked about it was you started off the chapter by talking about what is customer experience. And boy, there are a lot of, definitions and thoughts about that question. Um, and I'm curious to what your take is on it. Yeah, it's, it, it's, there are so many terms floating around in today's world between the technology side of things and the uh, various marketing efforts that tend to coin terminology and so forth. 
it gets a bit confusing out there. So one of the simplest definitions of customer experience that I've seen and the clearest definition uh, comes from uh, Aaron Huffner at Zendesk. And uh, Aaron says that customer experience is everything related to a business that affects a customer's perception and feelings about it. And I, I talk about employee experience too, and I really try to lean on the fact that when we talk about experience, we are talking about perception. And uh, one of the areas I work in, for example, is in IT experience management and really has to do with how do end users of the technologies that our organizations provide feel about the way we're providing it, the things that we provide, and how we support it. And that's exactly the same as the customer experience that we talk about. How do people feel about every aspect of the way we relate to them in terms of doing business with them, the tools that we might provide for them, the access to help and support that we provide to them, and also the products and services that we we provide. Are they good? Do they fit the bill? Are they what people expected? And a good way to think about experience, I think, is to think of it as expectation minus reality. And uh, so people have expectations of what uh, your, your products are like, your services are like. And we set those expectations up through marketing and advertising. And then people may buy the product. And I think we'll talk maybe about some of the stages that I've identified in, in this whole customer journey. Uh, but then they get the product or they receive the service and their expectations aren't met. And maybe there's ways that we fail them uh, or maybe they reach out to us with questions or because they have a problem with something and their expectations aren't met. So that that expectation minus reality is is what happens. And that's where the perception of their experience comes in. And, and we talk a lot about, there's an awful lot of people out there uh, talk about exceeding people's expectations. And of course, that creates great customer experience, right? If we set an expectation and then we do better than that, even if it's only a little bit better than that, uh, people tend to have a much better experience from, from their side and uh, will tend to turn around and be, and be our consistent customer. And maybe we'll turn them into lifelong customers. You know, that's really interesting, right? That you're hitting on the feelings and perceptions. And uh, of course it makes sense, right? When we hear you talk about it, but do you find that oftentimes that those are kind of ignored when we're, you know, we might be so caught up in a NPS score or a CXI or CSAT or all the different metrics that we use to measure customer expectations and our performance against those expectations. And sometimes we forget that there's perceptions and feelings impacting that. Yeah, I think a lot of times uh, what happens is that, you know, you know perceptions and feelings are, are what I refer to as squishy. Uh, they have a time to ooze, ooze out from the more we press on them, the more they tend to ooze out from the sides. And I think a lot of times businesses and especially business executives who are trying to manage these things have a lot of trouble with the concepts that are squishy. Uh, they like things cut and dried. And so the, the scores start to count more than the actual things that are being measured 
And one of the things I've said continually for years and years about metrics is that the metric is not the goal. The metric is a way to measure your progress toward the goal. It's a milepost. Now, nobody says I'm going to go take vacation at mile 125. Uh, everybody says I'm going to go take a vacation at the lake and maybe exit 120 uh, or mile 125 is where you get off the highway and go toward the lake. That's much more like the way you should be measuring is take that vacation at the lake, not at mile post 125. Uh, and uh, I think that we get caught up in scores and we have people, you know, asking, uh, can you give me a 10? Uh, well, you know, you got to deliver for me to give you a 10. Uh, so it's how do I perceive the thing that I'm receiving or the support that I'm getting that really matters? And, and, and it's, it's a little bit tricky to uh, not skew the data. There's something called Goodhart's Law. And Goodhart's Law is, it came out of economics and it's pretty complex, but really, really what it boils down to is that once you set a metric as the target that you're aiming for, it ceases to be a valid metric. And that, that means we're taking vacation at my post 125 instead of going to the lake, basically. Uh, it's, it's an interesting concept and you can look at it. It's, it's just like it sounds. It's Goodhart, G-O-O-D-H-A-R-T, uh, Goodhart's Law. And there's lots of pretty good explanations out there for it. So uh, don't go by the metric. Go by the overall reception of what you are delivering. And that's what the metrics are really supposed to tell you. They're supposed to help you understand whether you're having a positive impact or a negative impact on the people who are consuming your goods and services. Now, Roy, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is fascinating, uh, your comments about Goodhart's Law. I don't recall, and of course, being in customer experience, I'm constantly filling out surveys because I want to see what the latest survey is that's being, yes. that I'm being yes. asked to complete, right? So I'm probably more fanatical than some other uh, listeners might be. But but being, but saying that, I don't recall the last time I was asked how I felt about the experience or what was my perception of it. It's all about, was I satisfied? Did I get the product? Uh, how was the customer service agent I talked to? Were they professional or knowledgeable? Is there, are there surveying instruments out there that are asking about feelings and perceptions? I'm just well, curious you are your perspective. When you ask, how was the, how was this? What you're really asking is, what was your experience like? Right. Uh, you're asking what was, you know, it, it was the uh, agent polite? Well, that's perception. Uh, what some people might consider polite, other might, others might consider cold or unresponsive. Uh, and it, that's, that's something, too, that I harp on a lot, too, is how individual experiences. We don't experience things as a group, even if we're in a group at, say, a large amusement park, a theme park or something like that. Even if we're in a group, we don't all experience things the same way. And uh, so individual uh, experiences happen. And the way we record them when we respond to a survey, then those, those, the, those perceptions all get aggregated. And then we can see trends. And that's really what comes out of these things, you know, to pin your hopes on a, on a certain NPS or a certain uh, customer satisfaction score, not so good. But when you look at the trending of it over time, especially from month to month or for quarter to quarter or year to year, 
you can see whether or not you're moving in the right direction. We tend to want things really immediately. And uh, that's not really a good way to look at, at experience measurement. Very good point. And, and this is a great lead in. You mentioned in your opening remarks about your chapter and referenced the eight stages of the customer journey. And again, uh, certainly been a lot of discussion about the customer journey, but I really like the eight stages that you talk about in this chapter. Do you want to uh, go into those for our listeners and give us a little insight into how you arrived at those? Sure. Uh, uh, in thinking about, you know, talking about the end-to-end experience that a customer has, and that, that's when we talk about CX, we have to talk about it end-to-end. So we have to think about how did a customer arrive at, at our business? Uh, so that's what I call discovery. Uh, the prospective customer becomes aware of us. <clears throat> they become aware of uh, the company or the brand, whether that's through marketing or word of mouth. And, and that includes social media and any other way that we're publicizing our, our brand or, or company. And then something about that interaction, their discovery of the uh, brand or, or company, uh, they feel affinity. So affinity is the second stage and they find something to like, uh, some product or service that this particular brand delivers that others don't. And then knowing today's uh, consumers, they're going to do some research. Now, I don't know about you, but I have stood in stores with my mobile phone in my hand and looking at a product on the shelf, something that I'm considering purchasing. And I have immediately gone to a search engine and uh, looked up prices elsewhere and looked up how those things are sold elsewhere and see how it compares to the one I'm standing right in front of. Years ago, I would have reached out and, and bought, put the product in my basket or whatever it is. But now people research what they're doing. So that's the third stage of research to look at similar products and services and compare availability, price, uh, brand reputation, exceedingly important, and the cachet involved. You know, there's cachet involved in brands, of course, you know, Mercedes-Benz versus Hyundai, different type of, uh, of automobiles and the cachet that goes along with. Uh, <clears throat> then we may purchase it. That's the easy part, right? We buy it, we Whip out the old credit card, we pay for it, we take it home, or we receive the service electronically, whatever it happens to be. <clears throat> and then right after that, there's the receipt of that. Do so we take delivery of the product, <clears throat> whether that's being delivered to us? And that's a huge part of experience now when we do so much uh, commerce online. How was the delivery? Did the package arrive in one piece? Was it late? Uh, all that kind of, of uh, inter- interaction that we have figures into our overall experience. And sometimes even digital experience is not so good. Your download didn't work or the page where I was supposed to go isn't there. I got a 404 error from the link you sent me. Those are all things that get in the way and getting in the way of customers doing business is one way that we tend to uh, depress the customer experience. So now once we have taken receipt of the product or service, now we put it to use and we basically consume the service if, it's, if that's what we're buying. And at this stage, uh, the perceptions of the customer are put to the test. 
Does it live up to the expectations and perform as expected is the way that I express it. And uh, so that's another stage, a use stage. So, so far we've got discovery, affinity, research, purchase, receipt, and use. And that may be long-term, maybe short-term. It doesn't really matter. Uh, if it's a one-time thing, great. We purchased it. We used it. It's gone. Great. Are we going to buy it again? Or is it something that's supposed to last us for a long time? And that figures into something I've noticed about experience too. If it's a long-term product, for goodness sake, don't try to sell me another one two days later. Uh, that's part of the experience that marketing, the discovery phase, uh, is part of it too. And then maybe we have a question. Or maybe something breaks or something doesn't function the way we expect it to. And so we reach out and try to get support. So we, we try to get assistance. And here's where uh, one of the metrics that is uh, maybe not as common as it should be, one of the ones that I really like, customer effort comes into play, uh, especially with support. Some Organizations don't even have a phone number to call or an email address or a web link to get support that you can find easily on their website. And so I want, I want to try to reach out and get support for you, from you for the product or service that I bought. And you make it difficult to find out how to do that. Or, uh, you know, you just say, well, here's the manual for it. And that's it. That's as far as we go. Well, now you're making it hard on the customer. You're leaning on me a little bit too hard. Maybe that's, you know, depends on what your, your own uh, predilections are in terms of doing things for yourself. So support can include documentation. It could include a customer service function like a contact center. And it can also be community, right? Uh, crowdsourcing information on particular products and services is very common now, not only in terms of company-run forums, but also in terms of just reaching out on social media and say, hey, I bought this thing and I'm having trouble doing X, Y, or Z with it. Do you have experience with it? You know, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, uh, TikTok. Uh, and so the support is a is a big part of the experience. So let's say that all of the previous stages we've gone through have been uh, satisfactory. They've been uh, good. Our expectations have been met or, uh, or uh, exceeded. So now we, be, we become advocates for the brand. I mean, there are certain brands out there that I'm a staunch advocate for because they have consistently delivered, you know, almost every single time. And there are companies I've been doing business with for over 40 years, that 99% of the time, they either meet or exceed my expectations. Well, I'm an advocate for them. I'm going to tell my friends about them. I'm going to uh, mention them every time I get asked, or what are some of, some of your favorite companies or something like that? I'm going to mention those people. And so that's brand advocacy. And Ultimately, what we'd like to do is turn as many customers as possible into advocates. And remember that, you know, net promoter score is based on the fact that you're promoting the brand that you're talking about. It's not just being satisfied. It's being a promoter. And so ad advocacy is stage eight. Uh, and uh, an interesting thing that happens, and, and you made note of this as we were talking uh, previously, Bob that this feeds right back into the discovery phase 
because I'm out, I may be out there tweeting these brand names or something, you know, when I get asked about them or praising them because of something that they did for me. And somebody spots that and says, okay, well, maybe I should go look at that brand. So now they are feeding into the discovery phase, which is at the beginning. So the end for me as becoming an advocate becomes the beginning for somebody else. So there's this kind of cyclical spiral effect that takes place. And that, of course, that's what you want to have happen as a brand. You want to feed this so that your customers become advocates and do some some basic marketing functions for you. They're telling their friends. And that's that's the best kind of thing, right? Word of mouth recommendations are super. And that's why we lean so heavily on rec- product recommendations and, and, and reviews on Amazon, that type of thing. Brian, that's really excellent. Um, an excellent description of those eight, eight stages. And listeners, uh, when the book is, re- is released later this fall and you pick it up and look at his chapter, I think what Roy does that I've seen for the first time is typically the journey is oftentimes depicted as linear. Um, in those eight stages, they happen one after the other. And what Roy just talked about is this integrated, circular, never-ending cycle of the customer's journey. And, and he, he depicts it that way and entitles it the brand view of, custom, of the customer experience journey. I think it's just really a great depiction that talks about what Roy just mentioned, and that is that linkage from the customer becoming an advocate and doing a lot of the marketing for you. So um, I just think it's a, it's a much better representation of the journey as being ongoing and continuous as opposed to linear with the beginning and the end, right? I, I think that's really a great approach. Thanks, Rob. And there's another way to look at that too, which is that um, at, you know we consume a product or service Meanwhile, the company is hard at work developing new products and services. And so even though we might be an advocate for the brand, we haven't tried that new product or service. So we're going to go discover that one. So that that's part of the cycle, too, is that we're constantly undergoing uh, discovery, like what new features are in this particular uh, our iPhone that as compared to the one I bought last year or two years ago. Uh, what's the new software product from Microsoft do that the old one didn't? So I'm constantly discovering and then developing an affinity and doing more research on it and so forth and so on. So the cycle continues individually and in terms of the brand view. Really, really insightful, Roy. Um, Roy, and listeners, you're listening to Roy Atkinson talk about a chapter in an upcoming new book that's being released um, and and it's a really fascinating chapter that looks at CX and DX. And also um, just one more little tidbit, uh, Roy, that I captured as I read the chapter and that that, that kind of struck me as uh, entitled digitization is not transformation. And Roy, I got to be honest, every time I've heard the word digital, I've heard transformation associated with it. So when I saw that headline, I thought, what is Roy talking about? It's always about transformation, <laughs> isn't it? So Roy, I, maybe the maybe I'm the only one that had a reaction, but I'm guessing some of my listeners had that same reaction. So tell me what this is all about. Yeah, I, I one of the things that uh, I talk about 
in some of the writing that I've done for the Institute for, for uh, Digital Transformation is some of the, the partial uh, definitions of digital transformation that I, that I hear. I had one company approach us here at Clifton Butterfield to say, hey, we can do your digital transformation for you. We have a mobile app. Uh, well, that's not digital transformation. So what the heck are we talking about with digital transformation? And, and one of the definitions that we used at the Institute was written by one of the fellows, uh, Ray Sheen, who happens to live about 10 miles away from me. I, I have never met Ray yet. We're, one of these days, we're going to have a Starbucks time. But uh, Ray lives close by, and, and he wrote a great definition for the Institute. And it says, the integration of digital technologies into a business resulting in the reshaping of an organization that reorients it around customer experience, business value, and constant change. So it's the integration of digital technologies around uh, customer experience, et cetera. But what it really means is that there is a transformation in the organization. Um, it, it dig, Digital is the type of transformation that we're talking about. The really important part is the transformation, right? We can't accomplish things the same way. We cannot keep doing the, the same things the same way. You know, that, that whole tried and true definition of insanity uh, can't expect new results from doing things the same way. So uh, there are steps involved here. When we talk just about the digital side, uh, digitization is creating a digital representation of physical objects. So you might think of uh, Meta, right? What's, what's coming from Meta, formerly Facebook, in terms of the metaverse, in terms of some of the things that they're talking about, having avatars represent people at business meetings and so forth and so on. That's digitization. Uh, and digitalization, it means enabling or improving processes by levering digital technology. So we're still not there to digital transformation yet. Certainly, we can make things more digital as we go. Eliminate, you know, the paperwork or the manual stuff involved and make it as digital as possible. That's digitalization. But then we get the transformation. It's really business transformation enabled by digitalization. And uh, recently I was reading a report uh, from one of the companies that I speak with fairly often, and it, it was their uh, take on uh, customer experience this in the, during the past year, and they asked a whole bunch of questions of their customers and uh, one of them had to do with uh, making some changes internally. And that caught my eye. They said that they had improved things by enabling a, ch a simple change. One of the changes that they made was they gave their customer service agents the ability to access their internal subject matter experts. Now, that seems like a no-brainer. Uh, but what used to happen in the organization is that you had to go up to your manager, to their manager, across to the other part of the organization, and back down the chain of command to get in touch with these subject matter experts. Well, they gave their agents direct access to those subject matter experts. 
And the way that they did it, so that that was the organizational part of the change, right? That's the transformation is to say, oh, we're going to redo our structure here, our thinking about how we do business. We're going to change that and we're going to let these people talk directly to those experts. And then the way that they enabled that change was to put them on a, a system so that they could see which of the subject matter experts were available right then and there to answer their questions and gave them a way to write a message to them. It could be Microsoft Teams or some other collaboration tool that enabled them to see who was available that might be able to answer their question and then get the answer to the question using this uh, digital format. And so there, there you really have it in a nutshell. The transformation is the way that the business gets done. The type of work and the way you work are really what we're talking about in terms of the transformation. The digital part, we're talking about the tools that enable it. And so uh, that's that's where people get lost a little bit, I think. And they're thinking strictly in terms of making things digital. And that's not digital transformation. Digital transformation is enabling business change using digital tools. Right. I think that's the best explanation of digital transformation that I've ever heard. And it makes complete sense to me. And and it it really does bring clarity around what we're attempting to do. So thank you well, thank for that. You. <clears throat> no, thank you. <laughs> so Roy, mm-hmm. uh, as always, we could talk for hours on this and our time goes so quickly, but I, I, I can't let you go without one other aspect of the chapter that jumped out at me. And maybe it was just because I become sensitized to businesses continually saying, even today, um, you know, well over two years into the pandemic that due to the pandemic, we can't serve you very well. Mm-hmm. And one of the chapters, or excuse me, one of the sections you have is business must become more responsive, agile, and available. What, in your opinion, is preventing organizations, and by the way, you cite the fact that um, uh, digital B2B companies, uh, 96% of those organizations shifted to digitally enabled self-service remote and contactless operations in the first few months of the pandemic. But that being said, what is preventing other companies from, from doing this? I mean, it's been two years, you know, granted, set aside the labor shortages, but there's got to be solutions there somewhere. Or am I just, are my expectations out of alignment with what you've seen? No, I think there are solutions out there. I think that and one of the things that we tend to overlook sometimes is that in order to make these changes, in order to provide better services, in order to uh, do uh, business in different ways, it requires commitment from the business. And that commitment has to come from the top. And so we're often left to wonder <laughs> as we look at customer experiences, the type of customer experiences that are provided, we're left to wonder, well, why isn't this happening? Every time that I call to get some information from a company and I'm told that there's a you know a long wait, uh, I wonder, well, why don't you have a callback system? You can buy those. They're not hugely expensive. Have a system that will call me back. And the companies that do have callback systems, they tend to work flawlessly. I often get calls back much faster than what I'm led to expect. And it's usually very helpful. Um, give me another way to contact you that makes sense. 
Um, recently, I discovered uh, that uh, that my best course of action for one particular company was to use social media. I wasn't thinking of that. I, I made the mistake of calling them. And that was a really bad move on my part because the contact center couldn't really help me, but their Twitter assistants helped me immensely because they're empowered differently. Contact center people are considered, you know, an expense. The Twitter folks are connected much more closely to corporate because they're protecting the brand's reputation in a public way. So you have to make the decision as how you're going to relate to your customers and then you have to have commitment. And we all know that the old story about bacon and eggs for breakfast, right? The pig was committed. The chicken was involved. What I'm talking about requires the commitment of a business to make that experience better and make sure that they're doing what their customers expect. Again, uh, a great, uh, great explanation and clarification for what uh, businesses should be doing, Roy. I really appreciate it. Um, our time has flown by, Roy. I'll remind our listeners about the name of the book and its release date and how listeners can get in touch with you. <clears throat> Absolutely. The, the book is being uh, published by the Institute for, I'm sorry, it's being released by the Institute for Digital Transformation. It's called Digital Transformation Demystified. And the primary author is Dr. Frank Granito, who is the chief scientist at the Institute. And there are chapters in it on various topics that are written by the individual fellows who have some expertise in each area. Uh, that will be coming out uh, in, uh, I'm going to guess, uh, early November of 2022. And uh, so watch your, your local releases or follow the Institute on social media. At, at their Twitter handle is at Digital Era Now. Um, Institute for Digital Transformation is the web address as well as the name. Uh, check that out. And uh, you can certainly get in touch with me. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Roy Atkinson on LinkedIn. You can follow me at, guess what, Roy Atkinson on Twitter. Uh, and uh, you can also reach out through Clifton Butterfield. Uh, we do have a LinkedIn page. We have a website at cliftonbutterfield.com. So there's lots of ways to get in touch. Look forward to talking with you. That's fantastic. Uh, thank you very much, Roy. Uh, as always, a fascinating topic. And and at least for me, and I'm sure our listeners as well, you've, you've definitely helped uh, demystify uh, not only the the digital transformation, but uh, customer experience as well. And, and we appreciate your time today. Listeners, this has been another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I'm your host, Bob Asman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your networks. And as always, stay tuned for another episode with fascinating guests talking about the world of CX. This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, 
we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations.